We are starting a new series today in Psalm 19. It's a three-week series, and this series is Finding God 101. That's what it is. If you are a God chaser, if you love God, and if you love to experience God and know God, the point of this is like finding God 101. Like where are the basic places where we know and experience God? And I think that this psalm does such an awesome job of taking one of the greatest God chasers in human history possibly in the person of King David and having him show in one psalm kind of a progression of different ways that he's pursuing and experiencing and knowing God. And there's three different, there's three distinct parts of this psalm. As a matter of fact, they could look like when we sing a song, uh, you know, if there's a chorus that binds the song together, but then verses can be very different. They can look at a different aspect. And that's the way this is. All three parts of this psalm are very different. They're like three different verses of the same song, and they look at different directions. And the first looks at creation, the second looks at the law, and the third looks specifically at the relationship with God. So our first week, this week, is finding our maker. And the second week is finding the author. And then the last week is finding his presence. And uh, I could also say finding our father. Um, So it's our our maker and the author of our story, and then uh, father, the presence of father. And so the first six verses of this psalm uh, have to do with creation. If you are a God chaser and you've been studying the scriptures for a while, I'm sure you're familiar with this psalm already. Um, And uh, you're probably familiar with the principles of it and how they apply to your life as well. So uh, why don't you turn with me to Psalm 19, 1 to 6, and you can stand with me in honor of God's word as we read it. To the choir master, (laughs) a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. God's word is awesome. You can have a seat. Let's pray again. God, we just ask that these words right here, you would speak to us, God, that you would, you would uh, uh, lead us, that you would lead the trail, that you would uh, just kind of place things along the trail in front of us that leads us toward you. And that in this passage today, God, that you would uh, open us, each one of us, God, well, I'm asking that I don't want this to be a message from me of my thought. I just, God, really ask that you would help us to see this scripture and to understand what it is that you're speaking. As we look at, at David, a, a person who chased after you, um, his words and his own reflections, that God, that would somehow speak to us and your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us in that process. And uh, we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
So I just want to walk down through this text. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. We're going to look at that, that verse first. Have you ever seen one of those um, t-shirts that has uh, a picture and the picture is comprised of words? Do you know what I mean? So like there's this one that blows my mind. It's the first time I saw it. I was like, oh, that was really creative. It was a raven. Okay, a picture of a raven, and it was all Edgar Allan Poe writing that made the shape of a raven, you know? And you're like, oh, there's a lot going on there, you know, because you see the shape and what it makes, but then you see the words and what it's comprised of. Um, and uh, there, in, a, in a lesser sense, you can see, uh, like, the P for, like, uh, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, and then they'll put all those words in it that describe the Phillies, like, losing not doing well, you know, <laughs> that's, not, that's, that's not what they do. But there, there's those kind of uh, pictures that the way the, sh- the words are actually structured speak as much as what the words are saying, that you have to understand the structure in order to also understand what's being communicated. Hebrew literature works this way. Hebrew literature, one of the things that the authors of, particularly authors in the Old Testament, but also authors in the New Testament, because the New Testament authors are uh, guys who were raised in Hebrew literature. So you see it all across the pages of Scripture. You see it when it's God who's communicating it. And of course, the Hebrew authors shape themselves around God. So when they write poetry, they try to do it the way God does it. So the way God does it is like this. And you've heard me talk about this before. But day one of creation to day three of creation, is God taking two things and separating them and making space. So he separates light and darkness, and then he separates the sky and the sea, and then he separates the land and the sea. And then in the the next three days, he goes back and he fills those places up. So where he made, separated light and darkness, now he puts stars, sun, moon, and stars in it. And where he separated the sky and the water, now he comes back and puts the birds and the fish in it. And where he separated the land and the sea, now he comes back and he puts animals on the land, right? And so he, there's this order. There's these three things and then these three things, and they all match up. And then it leaves one day. And what's that day? Day seven, a day of rest. And that's not like, okay, we're done, so, all right, let's hang out. for it's, This has all been leading to this moment. And the last thing he does on day six is he makes us and puts us in the middle of it, and we go to bed, and we wake up in the morning, and it's like time to hang out with God in this amazing creation he made. And that's what the poetry of God's creation is supposed to say. It reveals amazing things. These match up with these. And at the end, at the very pinnacle at the top, is what we were made for, to behold all of this and to engage with him. That's God's poetry. And Hebrew poets shape their own poetry in the same way. So they structure their poems. So when you look at the Psalms, one of the things that's really difficult for us to understand about the Psalms is that it's not American poetry. You know, it's not English poetry. And so it's not about rhyming. It's a little bit closer to a haiku or, you know, like how many uh, syllables you have in each line, that kind of thing. But really, it's about pairing and contrasting. And it's these structures. And they're oftentimes pyramids. And those pyramids, like this matches with this, this with this, this with this, and then there's this. So look at that with me. And it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Now, in the Hebrew, 
and I don't want to get too technical, and I'll back off of this in a second as soon as I get done this one point, is that that's actually backwards. They don't know how to translate this in English, the second phrase, because what it actually says is, handiwork proclaims the sky. So it goes, the heavens declare the glory of God, handiwork proclaims the sky. But it's not actually saying that handiwork is proclaiming something. It's saying the sky's proclaiming it. But what's going on here is there's a pyramid. And so look at the, if you look at the, the bottom left of your pyramid, I should have made a PowerPoint about this. The, the heavens here declare here. Glory here. Okay? And on the other side, handiwork here. And then take a step down, proclaims here and down here, sky. And they're, and they're paired. What's at the pinnacle? The heavens declare the glory of God. Handiwork, the skies proclaim. Handiwork proclaims the sky. Can't even say it. It's so weird to do it that way. And that's what this is. So it's like that t-shirt where the structure says something. It says this is a big, giant arrow that points to God and both sides of the arrow are important and we're supposed to understand the difference of the two and the unity of the two. So what's the difference between the heavens and the sky and what's the same about the heavens and the sky? What's the difference between declaring and proclaiming and what's the same about them? What's the difference between handiwork and glory and what's the same about them? And certainly whatever we understand about all of that will point us to a broader understanding of God. God. That's the point. Okay. And as you walk down through this text, that's the shape of the whole poem. And so this is poetry that's being written that is like has layers in it, you know. Um, Onions have layers and Hebrew poetry has layers. So let's look at uh, some of the words. Let's look at each of the words here a little bit. Um, First of all, um, heavens are supposed to reveal something to us. So we'll just go through the pyramid and look at the words. Heavens, when it says heavens, the point clearly when you watch through the passage is the vastness of the heavens. Anybody ever been out west and seen big sky Montana or seen any, ever been in a place where it's really difficult in our corner of Pennsylvania to get this picture because we have so many trees and so many hills that like we usually see about this much of the sky. You know, that's about how much we see. If you go out to Lancaster County in the rolling hills of Lancaster County, you start to see a lot more of the sky. Get up on a vista and it, all the trees have been taken down because it's been planted with, with fields everywhere. So you can see a bigger sky. When you go out west and you go in the plains, you get to see huge amount of sky. And that sky is the vast beauty of God, the heavens. And the idea of heavens as opposed to sky. So the the difference is heavens is like, this is the unending, ongoing immensity of what's up there. That is the heavens. And that declares something about God. What does it declare? Glory. Did I get the name right? Simone Biles? Is that the name? You know that name now? Yeah, yeah, you know that name. Um, Michael Phelps, you probably already knew that one. You know those names. Those are names that are, are, were very clear. Usain Bolt, you might know that name. Um, the word glory in relation to those people. 
The word glory for them would be that moment after all their gold when there's the medal around their neck and when they're on the stand and when the national anthem is playing and when the music is playing and when the people are cheering. That's when we would say there they are in all of their glory. All that which surrounds a person, which reveals to those watching what it is about them. It kind of builds a reputation for them. It shows them off. It, it, it says something about that person. It says something. All the glory is those things around them. You know, when Simone goes home and she's just hanging out with her family, she's just another girl, you know? And you probably walk past her on the street and just be another girl. And yet when the national anthem's playing and there's gold around her neck and there's all this stuff, it's like, well, there's something unique here. There's something that she's accomplished that's special. All of that is the glory. The glory is that which shows us there's something unique here. The heavens declare the glory of God. When we see the vastness and the immensity of that which is beyond us, it should declare to us something about God's nature and God's character. We just sang about it. Undescribable, uncontainable. You set the stars in the sky and you know them by name. We cannot contain this God. He is immense. He is gigantic. We cannot fathom him. He is beyond our capacity to understand. And when we look at the depths of the heavens, something should hit us like a declaration that we cannot change. Declaration is authoritative. This isn't advertisement for God. You know, one of the things that I think we could easily go into when understanding this passage is think that this passage is an apologetic for God, like a defense that there is a God. You know, in Romans chapter 1, we're told that there's enough revealed about God to hold all men accountable So, uh, uh, through nature. So if you look at nature, you should know that there's a God, is what Romans 1 tells us. Um, which is funny because it's actually those who look most intensely at nature right now that oftentimes we feel the debate about whether there is a God or isn't a God in the scientific world, right? And yet what that we're saying, what Romans is saying, is as you look around at nature, it should be a no-brainer that there's a God. Now that is not the primary intention of this text here. It is not a defense for God. It's not to prove that there is a God. It's to reveal specific things about God for us. The assumption is that God is the creator. It's what he created. What does it speak about him? And so when the heavens declare the glory of God, when I look at that vastness, something should hit me about the declaration of who God is. I don't know about you. But um, there are times when I'm looking down at the ground of my life and I'm seeing all the stuff that's here or I might be looking around me at the people and what's going on. And there are moments when it is very, very, very important that I stop and I turn my head up and I look at the vastness of who God is. And I stop getting hung up on this and this and I look here and realize I am not the creator of my circumstances. I am a creature within his glory. And my job is not to control. 
My job is to worship, to behold, and to respond. The heavens declare the glory of God. When I realize the vastness of God, when I realize all of that and that I'm set in here, all of a sudden I realize, oh, I am part of the glory of God. And as I behold the glory of God, I am being transformed with ever-increasing glory into his likeness, is what 2 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us. And the first job of Adam and Eve set in the garden, behold, take it in. I set you here, and the way that you reveal my glory is by beholding it. All the other creatures are those who are just kind of puddling around, doing their thing, you know, swinging around the sky and doing its thing and gravity and all of that. But then there's this apple of God's eye that I put you in it to behold and to respond. The heavens declare that. The heavens The heavens show the vastness, the unattainable greatness of who God is. Now, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So are the heavens and the skies the same thing? Well, yeah, but it's two different ways of saying it. And there's a reason why the author says it two different ways. It's not just because that's cute to say it two different ways or like he's trying to make it redundant and do it in a creative way. He's proclaiming something. He's revealing something. He's showing something. So heavens declare the vastness, the glory, who God is. However, the skies, now the skies are closer than the heavens. The heavens are like, it's got to be like, God, you know? But then there's the skies, and the skies are the things where, like, that's where the rain comes from, that's where the birds fly in, that's what I'm breathing. It's a little bit closer I mean, it's all the same thing, but it's the sky. Just like there's the sky. And the sky's a little bit more accessible than, like, we fly planes through the sky. We don't even say, I flew a plane through the heavens, you know? We fly a plane through the sky. And the sky is a little bit closer. And here's the thing about the sky. while While the heavens authoritatively declare the glory of God, that's unattainable, inaccessible, so far beyond me. But the skies proclaim, they announce. Man, I just found out I can do that with my mic. You guys are in trouble. (laughs) The skies proclaim the work of his hands. They proclaim the work of his hands. So now compare and contrast the work of his hands, his handiwork, and his glory. Compare and contrast a declaration versus a proclamation. And compare and contrast heavens versus sky. The sky is his canvas. And the sky is where he paints. And when you watch that sunset or watch that sunrise, you know as a God chaser, I have to praise him because that was amazing. Good job, God. Good job, God. And it actually brings the heavens closer in one sense. Because in those mass heavens that are way beyond us, there had to be someone who painted that thing. And so when we're laying back and we're looking up at the clouds and we see the horse in the clouds, who did that? That was awesome, you know? And there's something that becomes from the vastness of God's glory intentional. 
creative investing. So when I understand that in my life there is massive complexity beyond what I can handle and there's just a vast number of variables in my life, it is good to know that there is a vast God who is big like that. But it is also good to know that that vast God is intentional and creative and has attention to detail. And that that little stripe of orange next to that little stripe of red next to that little stripe of purple and how they all work together in the sunset or the sunrise, man, he knew how to use his colors and he did that intentionally. And it takes the vastness and the diversity of God and it brings it down to an intentionality that should both, as I look at the pyramid, say, this and this says something about him. And I need to know that God is bigger and that I am smaller, but I also need to know that God is one who is very intentional and understands the detail and loves to put on a display of his handiwork. Amen? Amen. Those are awesome, awesome things that the sky itself is, uh, is showing us and that David, who's an observer, is actually able to see. All right, Psalm 50 says one thing about this that I think um, <clears throat> I want you to see. You know, I've been trying to give homework um, periodically, and I, there's two pieces of homework for us. One is to read Psalm 50, okay? Um, I don't need you to read that whole thing now because it's a little bit intense and it's a little bit bigger. But there's this one thing that Psalm 50 says in verse 6, if you look at it. And it says, the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. The heavens declare his righteousness. So when it says that it declares his glory, but then it declares his righteousness, that's another one of those things where like the Rolodex in your head should be like, oh, heavens declare glory. The heavens also declare righteousness. So what do they have to do with each other? Excuse me. Well, righteousness What does righteousness mean? Righteousness is not primarily just about morality. Oftentimes we think that righteousness is about being moral. Like if someone's moral, then they're righteous. No, that's if someone's moral, then they're moral. You know, if someone's righteous, it means they're doing it right. And righteousness isn't always about just doing right things morally. It's also about doing things right in any sort of way, you know, So there's the right way and the wrong way to, I don't know, swing a golf club or do whatever, you know? There's a right way and a wrong way. This is the effective way. This is the way. And the heavens declare the righteousness of God. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that when I look at the heavens, I say, man, God is just really, really moral. No, it means God has order to how this all works. That there is a vastness and there is an order. And I am a created being within the broad realm of his nature. I am a being who fits in and there is a natural order in which I fit in. When you get down to the end of Psalm 50, it says this in verse 22 and 23. It says, mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. 
Now, I won't take a whole lot of time because we're in Psalm 19, not in Psalm 50. So I'll just say this. If we understand that there is righteousness, that God is a God who has an order, and I understand myself as a person within it, then I understand that my role in nature, it says here, is thanksgiving. That those who offer thanksgiving bring glory to God. So am I a created being? That's, that one's not rhetorical. Let's just answer it together. Am I a created being? Yes. So as a created being then, am I part of God's creation? Yes. Is God's creation made for his glory? Yes. Therefore, am I made primarily to glorify God? Yes. Does Psalm 50, 23 say that the way that I glorify God That happens through me giving thanksgiving to God. That was a complicated one. (laughs) Am I a person who glorifies God through thanksgiving? Yes. So that means if I am not in a place where I am getting thankful for God's creation of me and placing me in this thing, if I am not in that posture of thanksgiving, then I am losing my birthright as a child of God Because my birthright was I was born for his glory, to give him glory by looking at what he's done and been like, that is awesome, thank you. That's my birthright. That's who I am. And as I engage in that, I find the basic 101 human purpose. There's more to come. As a matter of fact, the verse goes on and says, those who order their life rightly, he will bring salvation. We'll get to that in step two. Next week, we'll get to that. But first, 101, we look around and we respond with thanksgiving. And that is basic. Number one, 101, God chaser. Oh, he's our maker and he's awesome and he has an order to the whole thing. So homework, read Psalm 50, okay? Now we're going to cover one more verse and that's it. We are not going to get through the six verses. Um, So there's another uh, verse two. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. Same thing happens day to day, night to night. Pours out, reveals. Speech, knowledge. Okay? It's already said God, so the assumption is it would be God is the chorus. The verse, there's one verse here to God. Another verse here to God. And then you'll get to a whole other song in, once we get to verse 7. So anyway, day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. Firstly, there is a rhythm in this thing. So there's a basic drum beat to this psalm. There's something happening. There's a kick. Uh, there's a kick drum hitting it on either the one and the three or the two and the four. Something happening here on the 24-hour rhythm of day to day and night Tonight, there's something happening from the day to day and the night to night that's supposed to reveal something about God. And it's the rhythm itself of God's timing that we're supposed to understand from. So it's like old Ben in, uh, you know, in London there, ticking, tick, 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 keeping perfect time. And the whole city's supposed to operate around old Ben's ticking. You know, that what this is saying is, is that there's a ticking of God's nature. Boom, boom. Boom, boom, God, you know? And that very rhythm speaks of God. It doesn't just speak of God. It pours out speech. Think about that 
hear the words, take a big picture and pour it over this altar table. And it's the words of God being poured out and running down over the altar table. Words all over the place, splashing, spilling, overflowing. Day to day pours out speech. And then night to night reveals knowledge. What's the difference between them? Of course, this one's a little bit easier to compare and contrast, right? So day to day, we're looking at the sun when it comes up and there's brilliance and it's just like, boom, life bursting everywhere. The birds start singing. They start singing even a little before the, 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 uh, the sun comes up because they know it's coming, you know, and they're letting us all know it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And the sun comes up and it cracks over the sky and the colors change and life starts bursting out and all of a sudden it's bubbling with life and God's speech is pouring out all over the place. And the funny thing is, is that there's no words, but there's plenty of speech. It's silent speech that just bursts out all over the place in life, in light, and in vitality. If you're a hunter, it may be that you find uh, hunting uh, to be something therapeutic for you because not just because you get to eat some venison or you get to pull the trigger in the thrill of the hunt, but also because you're out there in nature and you experience it those who uh, like to go to the beach or those who like to go boating or those who like to take a walk in the woods have that, this experience of walking through God's nature. And that is like mostly a daytime activity. I had this one guy once tell me, um, I moved into a home and he was right next door and he said, I, I hear you're a preacher. And I was like, uh. <laughs> and he said, well, you and I are going to be okay as long as you don't try to get me to go to your church. And I was like, okay. And, uh, said, no problem, that's fine, I don't think I want you out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, that's not true at all. Um, and I said, why is that? And he said, because Sunday mornings I go golfing, and golfing is my church. I said, ah, tea time, huh? You know, and uh, he said, yeah, it really is. He's like, I'm out in nature, and I just feel the breeze on my face, and I feel the sun on my face. And he's like, and I feel close to God when I'm out there on the golf course. And I'm like, I get that. And this says that to one degree actually says day-to-day pours out speech. And sometimes for us as Christians, we don't do enough of that. Sometimes for us as Christians, we don't take enough walk in the woods. We don't step back and look up at the heavens, and we don't hear the song of the birds. And we get really, really here and here, and we don't get like, oh, man, God. And I completely agree with that guy or the hunter or the fisherman or the, the, the person out exercising or sitting on the beach. I completely agree that church in some ways, kingdom, worship, all of that transpires in nature. David shows us that more than anywhere else. And so from Monday to Saturday night, and then again Sunday after, from Sunday afternoon to Saturday night, homework number two. Get out there and get at it and experience God and church all week. Go after him. Feel it as much as you can, as often as you can. Behold his nature and experience it. That's not all that he asks us to do. There's week two and week three of this psalm, which tells us we better get our 
behind the church too, <laughs> or else we're only experiencing one part of it, you know, and I'm preaching to the choir, you guys are here. So, uh, but there's, but there is that thing where we actually need to take notes about that and say, that's true. Day to day pours out speech. And if I'm not listening to what it is that God's revealing in nature, I'm missing that. And sometimes that's the cleansing that my heart needs. Sometimes it's the worship that God deserves. He created all that. I, I, we, one of the traditions we have at uh, the beach is I make a ball roll. I've told us about this once before a long time ago. This is a family tradition where <laughs> we dig and dig mountain of sand, just a gigantic mountain of sand. And then we take, like, you know that game paddle ball? We take a little ball and we make trails through the mountain. And it goes like, you know, tunnels and the boys always want jumps and ramps and all this stuff, you know. Of course, they want me to do it while they go in the water, you know. And then, but then they, they come back and there's this, I require a moment of like, oh, you know, like, if all that work I spent all day building this thing, you better appreciate it, you know. Like, they roll the ball once and, you know, there's, it's like, how long does it take to go down through all that? And I totally enjoy the process of the creativity of the whole thing. This is part of being a child of God. We're called to be creative. God's creative. We're made in his image. When we do something creative, it's a good thing, you know. And so I enjoy that creative part. But also in the sense that God says, but now behold this and stand in all of it. I'm like, hey, boys, check it out, you know? And they're like, yeah, that's great. Can we jump on it and play King of the Mountain now, you know? And that is their favorite part at the end of the day is when they can destroy it and play King of the Mountain. And I uh, beg and plead that the Lord would continue to have us not be people who just want to destroy his creation, but we want to tend his creation. And we are called to be caretakers, And uh, caring for the earth is not a liberal agenda of some political party. That is a call of God on his people to be those who tend the earth, who observe the earth, who care for it, who use it rightly, and who see it as God's gift to us. You know? So uh, day to day pours out speech, but then night to night reveals knowledge. Um, the pouring out of speech is like God preaching, you know, where it's just boom, words and spirit being hit and everything. But then there's the teaching side of God, which is uncovering, revealing, you know, where uh, he's removing things that we typically see out so we can see a little deeper. He takes the sun away and all of a sudden we see all those stars that are always there, but we never see them until the sun goes away. You know, and that's the teaching side of God. Where let me show you the mystery. Let me mesmerize you with the depth of who I am. Let me teach you things that you would not have known. Come to me and study and observe and watch the detail behind it. Night to night reveals, uncovers knowledge. Anybody know of some people in the scripture who liked Uh, to study the heavens at night and it led them to finding God. Wise men. Wise men who studied the stars and they say they got to say something about God and it leads them to a stable in Bethlehem where they worship the Messiah. Man. 
This is the way it's supposed to work right now. I just read this amazing article, and I'm going to end with this. this is a, I read this amazing article. It was really cool, just a, a simple little thought-provoking article. And it talked about how uh, multiple times all throughout, this, uh, throughout the Old Testament, God refers to rain as a thing that he holds up in his storehouse. And then he opens up his storehouse, and the rain comes down. And the person says, like, when I open up my app, the weather app, or I look at the paper and I say, like, or I look at the uh, the um, look at the weather on TV or whatever, and I see what it's saying about what the weather's going to be this week. I never look at the what the what the uh, meteorologist is saying and say, well, that can't be true, because you're saying that a low pressure system is coming and this is happening, and therefore there's going to be rain. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's in a storehouse, so it has nothing. We never question that. We're like, yeah, low-pressure system, high-pressure system, yes. And then we look at the Bible, and we say, storehouse full of rain? Yes, both. They're incompatible, but not incompatible. Because we know that God's behind it, and just because it says storehouse here doesn't mean that there isn't about like this deep scientific part of it. And what's supposed to happen is we're like, Wow, God's storehouse is made up of low-pressure systems and high-pressure systems. I bet you the way that storehouse works is supposed to reveal something about his nature. And all too often right now, we get caught in a debate around nature uh, where it's like creation, evolution, and does God exist or doesn't God exist? And as Christians, I think by and large, we should not submit to that too heavily. And what I mean by that is we know without a shadow of a doubt, that God made the world. He does not need to be defended on that level. Nature will reveal itself. Our job is to behold, to study, to learn, to know, and to glorify. And there may be things where we're like, how does that fit with that? Who knows? That's part of the mystery. And we will learn, and one day we'll know it all. We don't have to have our world rocked by what science says. Science should be what the wise men did, where they're studying with great anticipation of what does this reveal about God. The starting point is that it's God. He's the pinnacle of the pyramid, and he's the foundation underneath of it. And everything in between pours out speech and reveals knowledge. God is awesome. Let's pray. God, I um, confess that uh, all too often um, there are things that are in my life and that are in our realm that are uh, the means by which we manage life and try to accomplish the things that we feel we need to accomplish for whatever motivation, for whatever reason. And sometimes, oftentimes, We are so caught by those things that we do not get to our most primal, basic form of worship, which is beholding and then thanking. And as as your children, God, we collectively, not out of guilt or shame, not out of like some kind of, just collectively say, we're sorry that we haven't seen it as well as we should. And that's not, you're not a needy God who needs us to see it. It's not, that's not it. It's not like me with a ball roll. (laughs) You know, what it actually is, is we realize that you, God, 
want us to engage the full beauty and to experience that and to be transformed by who you are. And so, God, we ask for your spirit that you've placed in us through the redemptive work of your son, that that spirit would cry out within us for a yearning to know you through the basic elemental form of worship that you created us for. And we ask that you would complete that, fulfill that, call us into it. People who like nature to worship you, we praise that. We know there's more to worshiping you, but we acknowledge that's good, God. And we ask that we would all continue to walk deeper in that. In the name of Jesus, amen.